My name is Matt Sawada. I am one of the pastors here on staff at LEFC. Specifically, I am the pastor of adult ministries. And that is a broad title. It's a good et cetera. I'm the et cetera pastor. But, uh, but what, I, what I get to do is oversee most of the pastoral care. I'm the liaison with the deaconesses, the deacons. I oversee uh, some of the different counseling aspects, the marriages, the funerals, and uh, love it. I'm serving exactly where God has me, and it's a, a really appreciate the opportunity to do this. You know, this is, this is a, an incredible opportunity for me, um, being the pastor of care ministries, essentially, this text, 2 Corinthians 1, is essentially a mission statement, a theology of comfort and care. And it's, it is a privilege to be able to, to open 2 Corinthians with you guys and, and, and process through what, what that looks like. Paul gives us a great example of care and tells us why it's important so we'll be in 2 Corinthians today. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible, if you don't have one, ushers, we've got some friends coming up uh, handing out Bibles. Um, please grab one. If you don't have one at home, this is our gift to you. Uh, we would love for you to have God's Word in your hands. This morning we'll be on page, in this Bible, 803. And so if you're getting one of these, I'll just tell you exactly where you can find it. Well, we are jumping back into these Corinthian books. Uh, we have recently uh, finished a, a series on 1 Corinthians. Um, several months ago, we wrapped that up. And, and today, are kicking off 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is going to be a, a series titled Beneath the Surface. And this is an opportunity, and I'll explain more about why we've titled it that way. But Paul goes beneath the surface in this, and he is exposing his love for this church and is encouraging them to, to live beneath the surface. So often we as Christians can live pretty plastic lives and allow everyone to see exactly what they want or we want them to see, and we don't let people beneath that exterior. And so Paul goes there in 2 Corinthians. You're going to hear that over and over uh, he, he camps out beneath the surface in these 13 or 14 chapters. And so we're excited. We're excited to go there uh, with you guys over the next few months. So uh, why 2 Corinthians? Why Corinth? I mean, Paul wrote two books to this church. Uh, Corinth was, was a pretty strategic place. Corinth was a, a significant Greek port city. Uh, on, there's this little island region. It's this little peninsula that's sticking out. And it was a significant piece of the Roman Empire. Nate, let's look at this first map. You can see Corinth. It's over here on the left. Crete is an island in the, in the Mediterranean. And just north of that, you see Athens. Well, to the left of Athens lies Corinth. Corinth was a... It was back in these days was about as, as a metroplex as you can get. Uh, it's on the water. It's a port city. There was a lot, of, a lot of people coming in, a lot of different thought. There was commerce that happened in Corinth. And so this was a, a place that 
that was, it was pretty significant in regards to, to cities back then. Let's dial in a little bit more, Nate. Uh, this is a little blurry, but you can see it's, it's right on the water. It's right there, and it's a, it's a major passageway, um, both to get to Athens as well as to get farther north. So Corinth, um, it's, Paul tells us, or the book of Acts tells us, that this church, this is Acts 18, um, was planted by Paul. Paul was the founder, in a way, of, of this church in Corinth, and he, he spent some time there. He, he lands in Corinth. Again, Acts 18 tells us about um, a couple that he meets, Priscilla and Aquila. And he begins living life with this couple. Um, they, they are tent makers together. And he begins to, to speak about this person of Jesus in the synagogues. Just like every other time he does that in the synagogues, what happens? Gets kicked out. He gets kicked out of the synagogues and then goes to to various houses and begins building a church in the city of Corinth. Now, Paul spends, it tells us, about a year and a half there in Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila uh, working. He made sure they knew he wasn't a burden to this church, but he fell in love with the people there. I would imagine this happened in every place Paul planted a church. He, he has this connection now. They're his spiritual children, so he's concerned for them. And what, what begins to happen is uh, Paul, true to form, he's a church planter. So he leaves Corinth, plants somebody somewhere else, plants somewhere else. He starts bouncing around. He's a starter, he, he raises this church, this pastors, these elders, and then moves on to do it someplace else. But then receives word about Corinth. You see, there's some problems that arose. And you had these, you had some sin issues that just were not easy to handle. You had, you had some problems that they, they probably reached out, uh, Paul, help. So what does Paul do? He sends Timothy. He sends his, his padwan, his apprentice, to go and be a presence in this place. So Timothy goes. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. And after getting a report back from Timothy, he writes the letter known as 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. Unfortunately, that didn't solve all the problems. And so matters grew worse, and Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that Paul had to make, he makes this painful visit. I had to make a painful visit to comfort this church and to confront these troublemakers personally. I had to deal with it. Those aren't fun conversations. It's painful. Well, Paul comes. He hopefully tries to deal with these people. Well, I think that made things worse. Because what then happened, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, 4 through 9, and 7, 8 to 12, that Paul 
not just, he had a painful visit, but he has to write a severe letter that was hand-delivered by Titus. So he sent Timothy, he's written 1 Corinthians, he writes a, a, he writes a, oh, then he makes a painful visit, then he writes a severe letter delivered by his second Padawan, Titus. Paul then gets good news from Titus. The problems had been solved. They've been removed from the church. So that's when Paul writes this letter, 2 Corinthians. And he writes this letter encouraging them. He writes this letter for several reasons. First of all, he's got to reestablish a relationship with this church. He's had to say some hard things a painful visit, a severe letter. He's had to send two of his buddies there to fix things. So 2 Corinthians, first off, is a, is a matter of it's reestablishing a relationship with a broken church. Secondly, we see uh, 2 Corinthians really outlines and encourages healthy relationships within the church and those abroad. Paul's saying, guys, don't be plastic. Live life beneath the surface. Include people in life with you. Don't just live life alone with people at arm's length. Let them in. Let them in beneath the surface. And Paul is going to, he's, he's really going to model what that can look like throughout this whole book. Lastly, the, the Corinthians were facing some hard trials. There's some situations that were going on that were just really difficult. So Paul provides a vision for compassion and comfort within these difficult and challenging trials. You begin to see Paul giving them here, we're, we're going to kick this off in chapter one, he's going to start with a theology of comfort and really help them see what, is it, what does it look like to turn to God for that comfort rather than other things? Well, these books are vastly different, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. One commentator said that if, if 1 Corinthians um, was kind of like this house, Corinth, you could you take the roof off the church. 1 Corinthians has taken that roof off and it's looking down into this church and it's helping them with how they worship, with how they love with how these spiritual gifts happen, with, how, with marriage. He's answering questions in 1 Corinthians. He's like an instructor, setting matters right. Well, 1 Corinthians is a look into the church. 2 Corinthians is a book that opens the heart of Paul and, and is allowing this church to see his heartbeat for them. He, he, he's trying to connect at that heart level. Whereas 1 Corinthians was more written as an instructor, 2 Corinthians is more of a, a loving pastor, someone who's pouring out his life for his, his spiritual children. He's really caring for the church in 2 Corinthians. Well, Paul's going to begin this book by acknowledging tough situations that he and this church were facing. He's, the reality of life is that we will all have these tough situations. 
when, when those happen in your life, when something hard happens, what do you turn to for comfort? Where do you turn? What's your oasis in that moment? You know, a, a couple years ago, uh, Robin, my wife, um, and I, we did this diet, right? And we, one of the things about this diet was we cut out all sugar. No sugar, 60 days. It was brutal. <laughs> I didn't appreciate it at all. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I learned <laughs> over those 60 days, and confession, I have an addiction. <laughs> Co-classic. You've been in my office, you see my shrine above my desk. I got Coke cans and bottles from all these different places in the world. Uh, it's fascinating. In Japan, it, it always says, um, refreshing and delicious, right underneath it. So true. <laughs> so true. Japanese got something right there. But, you know, what I, what I realized over those days was, uh, there's one day in particular, um, I just finished some hard meetings. It had been a long couple days. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. I get in my office and I just sit down and I craved a Coke. I needed, I needed that Coke. I wanted to hear the, <laughs> I wanted to hear the pop, right? I wanted to taste just delicious. <laughs> I wanted to taste that first sip. You know, I, I didn't even need the whole thing, but I just, I really craved that acidic burn <laughs> a Coke provides. You, you're feeling it. You know what I'm talking about. I, I wanted a Coke. And the problem was in that moment, I'd A, committed to my wife that I wouldn't do it. <laughs> And B, I realized how sad it was that I was turning to a can of dark, syrupy acid for comfort. <laughs> sad, but true. You see, Coke was a comfort zone for me. It provided something for Matt that um, I probably shouldn't have let it. I think we all have comfort zones. And maybe those comfort zones for you, it might not be a cold, dark liquid, it might be a hot one. That's that cup of coffee in that tumbler mug. Linda, I saw that. <laughs> or, or it's, uh, it's funny, after first service, the coffee people said, Matt, we're making more coffee today than we ever have before. <laughs> I said, well, it's also three degrees outside. <laughs> Not, don't blame that on me. Um, it may be, maybe coffee in the morning, sitting in that chair, that hot cup of coffee, right, is, is a, a significantly comforting to you. I think it's black tar, but then I drink Coke. So I don't know what it says. Uh, maybe it's Netflix. Maybe after a really hard day, you want to completely unplug and mindlessly binge watch something. Maybe it's, maybe it's shopping 
Amazon makes that really easy these days. Guys are saying, amen. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe that, that endorphin rush that you get from lifting weights or, or running on that treadmill. Maybe that's your happy place in your comfort zone. Maybe, maybe it's drugs. It's a great way to escape by getting high. Maybe it's alcohol. That buzz can certainly take the edge off of things. Maybe it's scrolling through the internet. How many hours do we waste aimlessly flipping through Instagram or Facebook, Twitter feeds, sports scores, pornography? Maybe it's playing a video game. Remember in Candy Crush, consumed hours of everyone's existence. Where do you run when things get hard? I'm going to suggest to you this morning that these things I listed, and there are countless other things, those are lesser comforts. Those comfort zones that we often create, notice the we, uh, are where we insulate from anything we think might be uncomfortable. You know, just picture this. There's uh, a playground. This happens daily across the world. You've got a two-year-old playing on a playground. And that two-year-old, a little clumsy, top-heavy, trips and catches their chin on a piece of playground equipment. Bites a tongue, snaps the teeth, maybe bloody lip, bump on the head, whatever, whatever it looks like. What's the first thing that kid does? Runs the mom. Dad can be standing six inches away from that kid, <laughs> and that kid will run a mile to mom. <laughs> I was always confused about that. What does mom have that? that to that kid, the comfort zone was mom. Mom holding them while they're crying and reassuring that things are going to be okay is incredibly comfortable to that two year old. When some situation makes you bonk your head, where do you run? What do you turn to? You know, see, every single one of us would prefer a life that is clean and comfortable. Tim Keller, he's an author, he's a pastor, a former pastor actually in, in New York, says that the Christian life isn't meant to be comfortable and complacent, but one of conviction and purpose. Scripture doesn't promise clean and comfortable. That would be a playground with no equipment. Boring. Scripture, in Paul, in this text, doesn't promise comfortable because things would get easier. Paul, as a man who's faced more hardship than most humans ever have, encourages both us and the Corinthians to turn to God for this comfort rather than a Coke of a can of syrupy liquid. He'll not only tell us who to turn to, but how and why. 
So in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, if you open up to that text with me, Paul starts off. Typical introduction. Paul, this is verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Praise be to God, to the God and Father. Excuse me, you should never drink Coke while you preach. <laughs> that happened first service right at this point too. I'll tell you about my digestion system. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us, verse 4, in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I love it. Paul starts not by complaining about how hard life is, He's not talking about those 39 lashes he got yesterday. Paul kicks this book off by praising God. He starts not by by going into depth about this tough situation, but he, he mentions God's mercy and compassion before he talks about the trouble he was experiencing. Saying God is... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Other texts say mercy. And the God of all comfort. See, I think this is a a great first step into how we deal with something hard in our lives. Praising God in the midst of an intense time causes us to focus on Him rather than the situation. Doing so, praising him, will tend to keep us from replaying the scenario in our mind over and over and over again. It's easy to to become consumed by the situation and forget about the character of who he is. That phrase at the end of verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. It's a beautiful three-letter word in there, all. All comfort comes from him. The word comfort here that Paul uses has the same root word in it as the Holy Spirit. It's a similar, similar root here. It conveys the idea of encouragement. Comfort here is not referring to mere support or some kind of inspiration or a pat on the back. You got this. It's more than that. When he says comfort here, this, this word refers to, and commentator says, it's God's transformative compassion. He's the God of all compassion that transforms us. His love for us and his kindness to us comes in the form of encouragement and then it changes us. See, that comfort doesn't just stop by making us feel good. 
this transformative compassion then begins to affect who we are. It changes our perspective. It changes how we view the suffering we're in. It causes us to understand and recognize that only his compassion can have any impact on the affliction we experience. See, comfort is more than just a feeling. It's more than just feeling good. It's more than just being removed from hard circumstance. But it's beginning to trust in him more. He is our comfort. Not the feeling we get or the removal of something. So if God is the God of all comfort, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Why in the world do I retreat to a can of Coke? If God is the God of all comfort, why do we turn to food or chocolate? Ladies, amen. Um, Why do we turn to, to exercise or the internet for comfort? Why do we turn to these lesser comforts? When God is the greater comfort. I'm going to put that down before I spill that. That's human nature. You're not alone. This is an all of us thing. It's you and it's me and it's him and it's her. It's all of us. This is human nature. It's a misplaced trust. You see, we've defined a disciple as someone who loves God, loves people, who lives truth and proclaims Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And that loving God means trusting in him, in him alone, not in ourselves in the midst of every circumstance, not just the hard ones. And that loving God doesn't come in the form of, it's not just a once and done. It's not a box you check, like on a ballot of a vote. We voted once, check. That loving God is in the form of a daily commitment, an hourly commitment, a situationally commitment. Am I going to choose God or am I going to choose self? Am I turning to God or am I turning to Coke? It's a decision I've got to make too many times a day. What are you trusting in when situations get hard? In this text, note there's a there's a cycle to comfort that Paul presents. In verse 4, we we see him kick that off. It says that this God of all comfort, in verse 3, is the one who comforts us in all our troubles. Right? So that means we are having trouble. We are living life today. And it is God who comforts us. It's God's presence. It's God's person that gives us that comfort. And he does that so that, verse 4, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So you see the cycle. There's troubles. 
There's circumstance, there's situations. There's depression, there's pain, there's injury, there's disease. There's marital issues, it's called sin. God comforts us in the midst of that so we can then extend that comfort we've received to somebody else. And then you know what happens? They receive comfort and then they pass it on to someone else. So think of your sphere of influence. Think of your oikos right now. Is there someone in your life who you can extend comfort to? And by extending comfort, I'm not just talking about, you know, saying, hey, Romans 8, God's love is high, wide, deep, it's bigger than you. That's good truth, awesome truth. Romans 8's amazing, but it's a Christian platitude. And then you preach, pray over them, and then you get out. It's convicting, right? But in the midst of that suffering, what would happen if you just sat with them and cried with them and hugged them and brought them Chick-fil-A and ate with them? Praise the Lord. But, you know, there's, there's something to being present rather than trying to fix the issue. That's what Paul here is talking about. And as a counselor, his name's David Powlison. He's at a, in a ministry in Philadelphia. And he wrote a book called uh, In the Suffering and Sovereignty of God. And he has a beautiful quote. He says, What we learn from God in our particular affliction becomes helpful to others in any affliction. What we learn about who God is in the midst of my current trial is something that I can pass on to someone else in their trial. It's a pay it forward type thing. And so Paul here in 2 Corinthians 1 is telling us there's purpose to hard circumstances towards this pain. There's a purpose. You see, God's never promised an easy or pain-free existence. It's actually the opposite. He's promised that there will be hard times. He acknowledges that there will be those struggles. But he's promised that we can have joy in the midst of them. And we don't have to be beaten down. But we can trust. We have a transformative compassion. We have his spirit. And he tells us in verse 5 that our trials align us with Christ. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We are sharing in the sufferings and we are sharing in the comfort. It's a both and. And then Paul builds on this concept that he started in verse four. Um, he says, you know, these trials are here. There's they're, they're part of our equipping and ministering to others. Verse six for if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So just like we have been aligned with Christ because of our trials, we can align with other people in the midst of them as well. 
We share in the joys. We share in the comforts. We share in the sufferings. That word share is powerful. Notice that pattern of if we, then you. If we, then you. This is community. This is called care. You know, maybe some of you remember, it's a small command in Matthew 28. Um, it says to go and make what? Good, yes. Good. To go and make disciples of all nations. You know, that disciple-making process does not happen in a sterile lab clean environment it's messy it's it's sometimes it's hard it's ugly but what he's talking about here in verses 5 6 and 7 is that we are supposed to make disciples in the midst of these circumstances we're not supposed to only do it in a bible study bible study is just the tip of the iceberg It's the life that you live with someone. That's the context where we make disciples. The Bible study is just transferring knowledge. It's the life on life that makes a difference. You know, Robin and I, she was in first service. She sat right there. Um, We're going on 18 years. Um, She's put up with me for that long. She's a saint. It is amazing. You're right. And And I think, you know, over 18 years, um, we've learned a couple things. And Matt's a bonehead. (laughs) I I can be selfish. You know, there are times when she's not kind. And I've had to apologize over and over again. And she has as well. And the first couple years of our marriage in particular were not easy. I think we had some assumptions coming in that really made it hard. And because of that period, God's birthed in us a passion for young couples. We love to talk marriage with someone who's just engaged or recently married. And we, we love that opportunity to serve together in that context so that they can learn from our mistakes. So that they can share not only in our sufferings, but they can share in the comfort that we've received through Christ. Tony and Kristen. Tony's been very vulnerable in sharing about their cancer battle. Uh, you know, incredibly vulnerable. And, but, in the midst of that, they've received comfort from the God who is all comfort and from those who have been through it before. And you know what God has done? He has opened up doors for Tony and Kristen to speak into lives in ways that Matt and Robin can't. He has had opportunities to share the gospel with people he never would have without that struggle. So he's been able to take the comfort that he's received in the midst of a brutal scenario and extend that 
to the people around him. It's a wonderful testimony as a result of a brutal scenario, a tough situation. I, being the pastoral care pastor, I, I've been at a lot of funerals recently. It blows me away as I see people bringing in food for these meals that we host for people after a funeral. I, I look and I see, yeah, you're, you know what? That person is passionate about these funeral meals because they've received that care at some point in their lives. They know the significance of it. And so they're taking the comfort that they received in the moment and they are extending it to someone else in the form of a plate of cheese. It's beautiful. Every one of us has gone through and maybe are going through hard circumstances helping someone else see Christ in the midst of what you are going through and what they are going through is what making a disciple looks like. It's exactly it. So our trials actually unite us together in hope, including someone else in your journey, sharing with them the ups and the downs, the successes and the failures. That's what it's about. It's about sitting and listening and praying and crying. It's entering into the, the brutality of a scenario. You know, I am in the process of building, building some teams. And I believe this is a beautiful opportunity for us as a church to care for one another. I'm looking for people who would be interested in, in maybe visiting a hospital sitting with a widow, looking for people who are willing to kind of be a chaplain and just love. You don't have to necessarily uh, preach or teach. You just have to be and be intentional. I'm looking for people who are interested in being mentors. Maybe God's taken you through a journey and you feel like there was purpose in that journey. And I'd love to come alongside someone else in the midst of that same thing. The kicker is with a thousand people, I can't meet with everybody and I need your help. God's taken you through unique scenarios so that you can serve the people in this body and in our oikos. If you're at all interested in hearing more about this or being trained to do this, uh, take your prayer card. I had one, but it's in the midst of these papers. Take your prayer card, write your name, and just maybe a brief description of what that is. And there's a little bin right outside those doors. Just put it in there and I'll, I'll be in touch. We'd love, I'd love to build some care teams to model this truth that God is a God of comfort to those around us. Well, Paul continues here. And he, he jumps in in verse eight to tells us about his experience. He gives us an example of a trial in Asia and basically says that we were under, well, doesn't basically say, he says in verse eight, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. Paul believed he was going to die like he had received a death sentence by a judge. 
Have you ever felt that kind of a despair? That kind of weight? That conveys, that word despair communicates the idea that there was, there was no exit. There was no way of escape available to him. He was so weighed down that he had no hope from a human perspective. I would imagine many of us have experienced that, whether it's in a form of an addiction, a form of a depression. Our suicide rate nationally is increasing. This is real. That concept of no hope isn't something that they feel. This is something that's present probably within this room. And Paul, the apostle, is feeling it in this moment. That's the type of experience he was having. We don't know what it was. Scripture doesn't tell us what this specific issue is, but we know it was significant. And he goes on then to tell us in verse 10 that, yeah, verse 9, we felt we had received the sentence of death. There was that weight and gravity. But, but this, this trial happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. And it's on him that we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. So, What Paul is realizing here is in the midst of this trial, he was was beginning to, he had created his comfort zone and that comfort zone couldn't sustain him. He was turning to these lesser comforts, probably not Coke or Instagram, but he was turning to that lesser comfort for the, the compassion that only the father of compassion and mercy could provide. But then there was a perspective shift in the midst of it. I don't think the scenario changed. But what changed was his perspective towards this. He began to realize that depending on self can be an easy thing to do when going through an affliction because it's our default mode. He delivered us, verse 10, from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. God's character is revealed in the past, the way he died on the cross and delivered us from death to life. God's character is revealed then in the present, this perspective shift that we have in the midst of this hard situation. And as a result, we can have confidence in him for the future. God was good then. He is good now, and he will be good then. Past, present, and future. And you can count on that. No matter the circumstance, God is still good. Paul recognized that it was God who saved him from that death penalty. And it is God who will continue to rescue him. See, deliverance in this text, in this context, isn't the removal from hard. It could be, 
but it's a perspective shift from please remove this to make it count. He was absolutely confident. I love that phrase. On him we have set our hope. He knew in his heart that that God would continue to deliver him. He knew that God would continue to deliver them because no affliction is able to cancel out God's love. It's not able to cancel out the gospel. Our hope is the gospel. We've been delivered by what Jesus did and who he was, and we will continue to be delivered by Jesus Christ. Psalm 112, as I process some of this with Robin, um, this is a verse she's been clinging to. They will have, this is 112, verses seven to eight, they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast and trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They are steadfast because, not because of the situation. We hear that they have bad news. They're not going to fear in the midst of that bad news because they are trusting in who God is. Comfort is not found in the circumstance. It's found in Christ, in Christ alone. You know that phrase, the song we just sung, and I'll repeat it again in a minute, but our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where we find comfort. Verse 11, finishing this out. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This tells us a couple things. One, prayer is powerful and effective. Prayer works. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a team of us. We've got staff and elders and a couple others who pray through those cards, and I've lost mine, um, those prayer cards, those white cards in your bulletins weekly. You are being prayed for. Use them. Use those cards. The weeks where a thousand people come here to worship with an opportunity to be prayed for like that and only three people turn in a card, kind of hurts my heart. Let us be praying for you. Verse 11, we want to be a part of giving thanks for what God is going to birth in you because of that prayer request. Again, you can fill them out. Right outside those doors is a little basket. You can just put your prayer requests in there. And they're confidential. But we will be praying for those things. Secondly, every Sunday, under that cross, we have people who are willing to pray for you. Kind of in that closing song, there are people who will step into whatever is going on in your life. Listen and comfort and pray. Use them. That service is there and they would love to join you within it. Finding comfort in God means that our comfort zones aren't defined by us. Finding comfort, finding comfort in God means that he becomes our comfort zone. It, it means that we allow him, we remind ourselves that he 
is the greater comfort. So when we trust in him for this comfort, there's a perspective shift that comes from complaint to worship. Struggle becomes an opportunity to praise him, to thank him, not something to run from. There's a purpose to these hard moments. Allow the circumstances of both yesterday and today to remind us of Christ's voluntary choice to suffer on our behalf on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we're just thankful for your son, Jesus. We're thankful for the life that we have because of him, and we're grateful for the opportunity to worship him this morning. Thank you again just for the chance, Father, to to open your word with brothers and sisters and to remind one another that your grace is sufficient, that you are strong when we are weak. Father, we need you, and we need your son, Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth. This is a life-changing truth. Father, you are stronger than our sin. We just thank you that for, the, the, for the freedom that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the, the comfort, for the transformative compassion that you offer each one of us. Father, I'm sorry for the moments where we look elsewhere, where we, those moments we look to those lesser comforts rather than to the God who is the, greater, the greatest comfort. So Father, I pray for this body that we would be one known for the care and comfort we extend to those around us. Help us to be men and women who don't just offer these phrases um, and then run, but help us to be men and women who, who care well, offering comfort that we've received from you to those around us. Essentially, Father, allow us to be men and women who offer you to those around us. Father, we love you. And it's an honor to praise the God of all comfort this morning. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Amen. Servers, you guys can have a seat. So I'm going to read just a one or maybe about three or four phrases um, from a song we sang earlier in the service, Cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly trust in Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. LEFC, go today clinging to that anchor in the, that, is, that is found in Jesus Christ. Let God be the comfort you seek today.